Are you ready? Hey, you think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Everybody. Welcome to episode 23 of 2, 5, and 10. I, I almost didn't know where to stop that, Benny. I was just kind of going and bobbing with it. I was just like, I haven't heard this one in a while. That's something That's something you can rock to for the entire length of the song and then hit replay. Yeah, yeah I was debating on just letting it go for the whole episode. Just get it low in the background. <laughs> As always, Ben well, My favorite is always when it was Mr. Assman. Oh, yeah, a little uh, Billy Gunn. Yeah. Uh, what do we have uh, on deck this week? I, I saw there was a lot of uh, a lot of points on the outline. Yeah, a lot of injury news, um, updates on the Guy Boucher firing in Ottawa, uh, the timing of that, talking about the Jakob Silverberg extension, Tavares' return to Long Island, and how Island fans handle that. Uh, and a couple little tidbits that came out uh, in the past few days about possible rule changes in NHL that we'll discuss. And something that popped up today on my Twitter feed about David Backus and his role with the Bruins that we could get into if we have some time. Yeah, there, there, there's been a lot of chatter the last couple of days, like, I feel like actual hockey news, there hasn't been too much. But uh, like you said, there's been like little tidbits, like injuries, the return, the extension. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to get into this episode. I know there's a uh, a lot of people out there that are excited that my voice is partially back. feel like I'm uh, in puberty because sometimes it just squeaks <laughs> right out. But I'm ready. I, I'm crushing a nice 12-ounce uh, blue can. D- Daddy's ready. And I got my San Francisco $7 iced mocha 12-ounce. Oh, wow. And, I mean, is that from Starbs, or, or how does that work? Oh, no, this is from uh, the Marina District out here in San Francisco, like a little French bakery, bistro-type place. And it's good, but, you know, you know you're an expensive city that when I get back to New York, I'm going to be able to take a deep breath and go, ah, everything's cheap again. Yeah, that's fucked up if you think New York prices are cheap. So, yeah, it might be a little tough um, there. But, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we can get right into the Maple Leaf stuff uh, since it's kind of themed there a little bit. Uh, <coughs> Maple Leafs played at the Coliseum against Islanders uh, late last week. John Tavares' return to Long Island. I uh, just want to get your thoughts on the reaction that we had at the Coliseum from Islanders and uh, I guess his the reaction that he got in his next home game in Toronto, too, by the fans. Yeah, so as for the return, I mean, it was to be expected. Uh, they're obviously not happy that he left. They, they booed him. Um, some of the things were a little extreme, like throwing the snakes on the ice to me was a little much. Um, I did like the fan creativity. I saw uh, a couple of people that did keep their Tavares jersey, a couple of them dressed up in uh, Islanders PJs, and on the back on the nameplate they put Pajama Boy. After when he signed back in Toronto, <laughs> he put that picture up of him in the Maple Leaf PJs or sheets or whatever it was. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, when he comes out of warm-up, some guy just hums a jersey right by his head, just missed him. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, to be expected, and... I'm sure he expected that too. At the same time, I guess you got to take the good with the bad. It would have been nice if when they did the video tribute, maybe if more people, a little more standing ovation. Um, One other thing too. So the day after it happened on Instagram, on his Instagram story, Sean Avery goes off and he just fucking gives it to the Islanders fans. And in retrospect, 
as deserved. I mean, the way Aves put it, like, you know, you fucking losers, you would get, you know, shown up, like, outshone in your own barn, like, up, down, the other thing. Um, what did you expect him to do? There's no way anybody would have re-signed there. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of ways to look at it, but nothing was a little over extreme for me. I thought it was kind of just par for the course. Yeah, I definitely saw Avery's point. Uh, that whole clip is one of the reasons why I loved uh, Avery as a ranger. He was there for almost a decade or about a decade. He was your franchise. He never caused any problems, never demanded trades, never bitched to the media. He gave everything he had. And this is just the way the system works. He earned the right to be a free agent. And he made a decision. Like, he earned that right. It sucks that the Islanders as an organization mismanaged the whole thing, but he did nothing wrong. The Islanders management should have pushed him before the trade deadline or the previous summer for a decision. Either sign now or you're going to lose the ability to have control, at least for the next season, season and a half, on where you're playing, because we may not be able to take that risk. So, uh, so that's one thing. I I also can see the fans' point of view, where the Islanders haven't had much much success since essentially the late 80s, uh, mid to late 80s. So they get Tavares, he turns into a star, and then he bolts and goes to an Eastern Conference team. Uh, so I get the venom there, the booze. Uh, you know, the burning of the jerseys, things like that. The one thing I don't get is during a video tribute when they drowned out the tribute by chanting asshole. And I don't get that one at all. I think that's just a little sour grapes. Uh, like you said, he earned the right to go to free agency. He picked and chose where he wanted to go. He was going to get the money he got regardless of where he went. Wherever he picked, he was going to get paid that amount. So I don't think that part of it matters, but it is what it is. I and, and as for the success part, I mean, the Islanders haven't had this much success, well, since he left because they're first in the fucking Metropolitan. Yeah, well, they went on a little bit of a skid after that whole thing. So I think it would be hilarious if they fall out of the playoff picture. Um, that's kind of like bet good karma for it. The other thing is, I couldn't imagine if I was inside the room as an Islander and I'm a pending free agent or a free agent next summer, what my feeling would be like. So this is, it's sworn loyalty or else. Like, why would I want to stay there? Or if I was like Panarin, why would I want to sign there? Oh, dude, not even that. I mean, just look at the difference in buildings. Like, you don't even know where you're playing week to week. Like... See yeah. you later. It's appreciated, Island. I'm out. Also, um, yeah, exactly. And oh no, you go. No, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say on the other end of when they had the return to Toronto the next game, and they did their lineups in reverse order, so he would be the last guy during the starting lineup to get a standing ovation. Do you think that was mainly Leafs management or did you think Tavares was like that salty and was like, if I don't get a fucking standing ovation here, I'm going to lose my shit. Apparently. And there are certain guys I'll take their word at what they're saying. Tavares is one of them. He's a very unassuming guy. He apparently had no idea that was going to happen. That was the guys in the Maple Leaf locker room that kind of, that was going to be in the starting lineup with him, came together and said, all right, let's kind of, during intros, leave the blue line and let JT uh, get a proper reaction from the fan base, like welcome him and show appreciation again for his decision to go to Toronto, which shows you what kind of guy he is. It's just not even a full year in Toronto and the guys respect him like that in a room to kind of give him that treatment. Well, yeah, not to mention he's fucking carrying them too with the 30-something goals he already has, so... Yeah, that helps. Yeah. Uh, the other thing with the Maple Leafs is the injuries. They've been suffering. Kadri's out with a concussion. Uh, and then on the back end, Jake Muzzin got hurt, but uh, looked to be worse than what it actually turned out to be. So he's back already. But they're out with uh, Travis Dermott. is out for a little bit. And 
the decision to kind of not acquire another defenseman or any definite back ends might be coming back to hurt him a little bit. Uh, I know Gardner is also out, so those are two main guys that are going to be out for weeks, not days, according to the Maple Leafs. And the playoffs start six weeks from, well, five weeks now uh, from where we are today. So I'm kind of wondering, I know we kind of hit on it a little bit last week, kind of surprising that they didn't make another move. Do you think Kyle is in there going, oh, shit? I don't know. I mean, th- th- that's kind of along the same lines of the Dallas Zuccarello deal. You know, like you finally make the deal to get the guy's help, and then the first game he gets hurt. Like, obviously, there's certain shit you don't plan for. This being one of them. I mean, I don't know how deep they are in the AHL to bring up a couple of guys and as to what they can or can't do. But yeah, I mean, if you're trying to make a playoff push, obviously, them and the Bruins are gonna be that two and three spot and the Atlantic I mean currently three points behind the Bruins uh the way the Bruins are on fire I honestly don't think they're gonna catch them but like you said with it being weeks and not days when you come back from an injury you're not instantly gonna be up to speed so that that should definitely be a red flag on their end because the we all know the playoffs are a different monster anyways but if you're gonna say Muzzin comes back right at the first game, he's not going to be the same guy. He's going to be getting beat. Uh, Dermot, the same thing. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a little scary on that end. Uh, Kadri is day-to-day, last I checked, but he... One thing I don't like is when players deem as to what it is. He started skating again. Babcock didn't say he was day-to-day. Dubas didn't say he was day-to-day. Kadri comes out and says, oh, yeah, I feel good. I'm day-to-day. But with the concussion and all the protocols now, I-, I just don't know if he can deem it or if somebody else has to deem it, if that messes up the injury report. Like, I don't know how that works. Yeah, that's going to be interesting once uh, next season rolls around and NHL has a full-on partnership for gambling, and that's going to impact the injury reports uh, that are supposed to be given out. So that's another aspect to keep in mind for the coaching staff for next season but right now with the injuries to Gardner and uh, Dermott the top four for Toronto is Riley and Ron Hainsey and Jake Muzzin and Nikita Saitsev so not very inspiring in terms of overall play and that's not even counting their bottom pair so Toronto's in a little bit of a tough spot they in the standings if you just look at the picture without any context it looks like they have a shot to catch up to Boston but with these injuries, and Babcock came out today and said that uh, Anderson's only going to play 56 games this year because he tired in the playoffs last year. Well, they have 16 games left, and he's already at 52 or 56. So he's not, uh, oh no, 40-something. So he's not going to be playing much down a stretch. So that weakens him in goal, too. So I don't think they're going to be leapfrogging Boston uh, before the playoffs start. Yeah, and I mean, I honestly don't think home ice matters in that series because throughout the year in the division, the guys play each other enough that I honestly don't think one game sways it. But if he's already capping Anderson, I wonder if it's just Babcock being Babcock and saying, you know, this is what we were going with from the beginning of the year. Or if he's just like, Freddie's a little tired right now. We're going to give him a break and we want him ready for the playoffs. Obviously, we'll never know that answer. But I, I think it's just different ways to look at it. Well, in terms of rust, Anderson's going to have plenty of rest starting in mid-April after playing Boston in the first round since Boston, you guys just basically steamroll them whenever you play them. We own that ass, baby. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but we'll take it. Uh, I, along the same veins, the Eric Carlson injury fiasco that w- that's been going down in San Jose, he had missed, uh, I think he missed about 10 games uh, in February, early February, with a groin injury. And then he came back against the Bruins in February. Twe- it looked like he tweaked something in a, late in the first period, went to the locker room, came back out, was visibly limping out there, uh, was getting blown past for a couple breaks on man rushes, even on a power play, and then left the game for good with 8.20 left in the second period against the Bruins. And now he's been out since. Uh, with a re-aggravation of that groin injury. And there's been some criticism that the Sharks 
may have not only rushed him back for that Bruins game, but that they allowed him to get back in, into the Bruins game after he initially uh, retweaked that injury. So uh, with that in mind, do you think San Jose was kind of short-sighted with their basically number 1A Norris Trophy defenseman as they kind of gear up for the playoff push? Yeah, I mean, for me, it just didn't make sense bringing them back at that point. Obviously, Carlson's a hockey player. They want to play regardless of them being injured, so on and so forth. But at the same point, I think San Jose wants to make a run here. I think they know their window's closing a little bit. This is your chance. This is your guy who's going to take you deep into the playoffs. Like, yeah, you're growing stiff. Good. Sit out two games. Like, I I just don't get the the rush. Um, They came back and they said that there's no surgery needed. It's a version of the same injury. And then they go, we're going to obviously, we're going to be obviously extra cautious and make sure about this. Why were you extra cautious about this the fucking first time? Like, he had a re-aggravated for you guys now to be extra cautious. So the first time you were just normal cautious. Like, I, I, I just don't get it. At the same point, um, it seems like the Sharks do okay without him. The 14 games he's missed this year, uh, 12 with injury and then two for that suspension when he had that hit on the guy from L.A. San Jose is 10-3-1 without him in the lineup. So they're still doing all right. At this point now, I mean, do you sit him until the playoffs or do you bring him back a week before, kind of get the rust off? I I don't rush this. I mean, you, you know you're going to be playing probably Vegas. I mean... It's going to be a grind. It's going to be a tough series. I just I don't see why you would push the push the envelope here. Yeah, it's just in terms of being cautious. They have a 9-point lead over Vegas right now uh for second in the Pacific. They're still only 3 points out of first and that would be first in the entire Western Conference. Uh and they're 13 points up on being in a wild card spot. So they have plenty of cushion here to take it easy with Carlson, which is what they should have done initially. Uh, On the other side of it, a groin injury for any hockey player is tough, but especially for a guy like Carlson, whose whole game is based on offensive flow, pushing out of the offensive zone and kind of quarterbacking that power play. So a rare, I think, mismanagement by like the Sharks organization are usually pretty good in all facets of uh, the game. This is the one kind of sticks out as a poor decision. With your question about when to bring them back, there's also another aspect. I had a couple uh, groin injuries playing. Yeah, rest helps, but if you wait too long, it gets to a point where it's like gets stiff earlier and I know you're going to make some jokes there about groin injuries and being stiff but uh <laughs> but it's almost a point of too much rest is just as bad as too little rest would you massage his groin I mean if it's going to get me a Stanley Cup fuck yeah <laughs> if I'm Jumbo Joe I'm I'm massaging the shit out of Carlson's groin <laughs> well another one too is like you just said, Jumbo Joe, there's a lot of wear and tear on those knees. I'm surprised they haven't started him on an every other game thing or every couple of games take a seat. Like, I understand the flow and chemistry part of the game, but at the same time, Joe's old. He's beat up. Like, give him a little bit of a rest. That That's all I'm saying. It's almost like it seems like this is their first time in the playoffs and they don't know what they're doing or what they're getting into. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it kind of helped him out a little bit by reducing his minutes on a game-to-game basis. Now he's there at 3C, so he's instead of playing 18 to 20 a night, he's playing about 13 to 15, which might help. I'm sure once things are clinched, they're going to start resting guys like uh, Thornton. They may even, might even give Burns and Carlson additional rest of Carlson's back by then, um, give it like those nagging injuries some time off. Um, but that's also if they are content not winning their division, if they're still in like that kind of race with Calgary. So it's going to be interesting. Then I'm, I'm going to be at that Sharks Flames game uh, later on in March. It's the last time they meet for the season, and I might be able to determine who's going to win the division at that point. So it's going to be a fun game. There will be blood. <sighs> I get to see for, uh, future Ranger Matthew Kachuk up close too. 
Yeah, I, I like him, man. He's a good player. Uh, staying out in the Pacific, uh, in Anaheim, you know, before the trade deadline, we are talking about what Anaheim might do, uh, selling off more players, and we talked about Silverberg as being an option. I know the Bruins were apparently rumored to have interest in bringing him in before they traded for Coyle and Johansson, uh, but Anaheim ended up re-signing him to a five-year deal, uh, $26.25 million spread out over those five years. What are your thoughts on the deal? And do you think, were you as surprised at the term and number as much as I was? Yeah, it seemed a little bit high to me. Um, 477 NHL games, 111 goals, 126 assists. Good for 237 points. So he's only just about like a half a point a game player. Um, I don't know. I'm not like overly impressed with him. Just. For now, you're going to be giving them five point two five each year. Like you got, you got to produce. And the only thing with me is, if this league is going to that, where basically if you're a forty point a year guy, and you're making five point two five, imagine if you're a guy that's getting eighty points. Like I just yeah. th- that I just think it's kind of outpricing itself a little bit. I think certain teams, obviously, uh, the market changes every year. It's changed every single year. So I get that certain people are able to cash in at different times. But this deal and for the length and the money, I mean, he's currently 28. Like five years is going to take him up to 33. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. For me, Silverberg is like, that role player that ends up being a key, like some kind of like key role player on Stanley Cup team, but now he's being paid as a legitimate top six scoring forward, and that's not his game. He's he's a solid goal scorer. He's scored twenty goals twice in his career. Here's the other thing: he's never he's only topped forty points once in his career. Now it's his career year back in 2016-17. Um, he's never scored over 23 goals in a year. He's when you think of legitimate goal scorers in the Western Conference, even in the Pacific Division, Silverberg is what 19th on the list. So I'm not quite sure paying a five over five million dollars a year. To me, he reminds me of a less physical, right-handed shot older Jimmy VC. Who VC is a rugged guy, good third-line forward. Will, Potch of 15, maybe 20 goals a year, not worth $5.5 million a year. Kevin Hayes made 5.25 this year, so I, yeah. I don't think he's even close to Kevin Hayes. So if he's getting five, over five, Hayes was originally asking for six over six. If I'm him, I'm like, yo, I need at least seven and a half. I think that's exactly where he's going to go to, seven and a half. But, yeah, this, again, Anaheim got it, in my opinion, got into this position because they lack the ability to separate themselves from their emotional attachment to certain guys. Yeah, so they have this problem of not being able to do that. So Bob Murray in the press release about the Silverberg extension says, I like him, he hates to lose, he wants to win, he's been here, yada, 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 all that stuff. And then he rewards him with a five-year contract, overpaying him on a yearly average annual value. This is how they got into the position they're in. They're stuck in long-term deals with guys like Corey Perry, Ryan Kessler, Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, they have to deal with Adam Henrique. That's not even kicking in until the summer. And they're not, they don't have as much flexibility as teams that are just like them at the bottom of the standings that are going to have a shit ton of cap room this summer and next summer or have highly developed or highly regarded prospects about to break into an NHL. They, they, Ducks have none of that. At the bottom of the standings, their salary cap situation is shit. They don't have legitimate top-line defense prospects or forward prospects. They have, like, solid guys. So I don't see a quick turnaround coming in Anaheim unless Getzlaff and Perry find a fountain of youth next year. And the other thing, too, is they ended up giving them not a full no-movement, but they gave them a modified no-movement clause. So he has a 12-team no-trade list, too. So at some point, if this gets ugly, 
he's going only where he wants to go. So it's, I don't know, man. That's, I know it's already, it's already been a nightmare out there, and then this just adds to it. Yeah, that's one thing that the Rangers have gotten burned by in the past, and now they basically are refusing to uh, award an extensions. Like, there's no more, no trade clauses, no movement clauses. After they had to deal with the Dan Girardi's the, and a Mark Stoll contract, uh, things like that. So the Rangers learn from their mistakes, and they're like, unless you're, you're a guy like Lundqvist, we're not going to give that to you. It's crazy, too, because... What would you give Silverberg? I mean, I'd give him probably about three and a half. Five point two five for me is a little high. I mean, to be honest, if I'm running Anaheim right now, I would have just traded up the deadline and just moved on. Like, I know you need veterans. You can't just have a bunch of eighteen year olds out there with no initial experience and expect to not crater to the bottom of the standings. But you're already there with this guy on the roster anyway. So, I would have traded him for a prospect or a young player and a pick. And then I would have taken out $5 million over five years and tried to lure a top four guy to pair of Lindholm or another uh, top six forward to put next to Getzlaff and Henrik next year. Yeah, I'm with you on the uh, getting someone with Lindholm because from that D end, if you have Gibson, Lindholm, and then somebody else to pair with, I think you start moving up the lineup a little bit, kind of filling in slots. I think it definitely makes you better. Um, yeah, moving Vaughn in was a great decision. Yeah, it worked out okay. great for him. Um, sticking with the Ducks real quick, Ryan Kessler last night, his 1,000th NHL game. Yeah, he's he's earned that. Uh, he has a, you either love him or you hate him, uh, as a guy who's never had to really battle him consistently as a Rangers fan throughout his career. I kind of re- have a lot of respect for his style of play. He can cross the line a little bit here and there, but he always answers the bell. He never ducks away from... Uh, Chuck and Nucks if he has to. But that style of play warmed down significantly quicker than a lot of other guys. I think he's only like, what, 32, and he's basically toast at this point. Yeah, he's, I mean, he, he contributes in a back-checking kind of way, but yeah, no, he's definitely beat up. Hats off, I mean, he grinded out a 1,000 games. This was not, yeah. he, like, he played every shift. His hips are beat up. At some point, he's definitely going to have to hang it up. But, yeah, no, like you said, not afraid to chuck him. Uh, not a, Would you classify him as dirty? I mean, the, the feud between him and Johansson to me was kind of funny where Johansson's like, no one fucking likes you, and Kessler's <laughs> just kind of like laughing at him. But I don't I know. Don't consi- yeah, like I think Tom Wilson's dirty. I think Kessler, because of the way he plays and the – uh, situations that that puts him into there are situations where it crosses a line in terms of like fuck this dude not necessarily holy shit that was dirty it just is something where it's like fuck this guy and you want to get at him and not necessarily like a tom wilson where it's just oh i'm gonna level this guy in the head with my elbow for no specific reason yeah just because it's tuesday uh, Matt Cullen, I think last night, 1,500 career NHL games. 1,500. Uh, let's see. Three Stanley Cups, 464 assists, 264 goals. Um, bounced around a lot in his career. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight NHL teams. Hurricanes, um, Rangers, uh, Panthers, Anaheim. Penguins, uh, Wild, Senators. Damn. Yeah, so he definitely went around the block. I mean, got to respect it, dude. Three times three time Stanley Cup winner. Yeah, and just the fact that a guy like Cullen, who was never a significant offensive producer, uh, carved out 1,500 games is incredible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because even when – I'm trying to think what it was. Was it when he was with Pittsburgh where he was bringing his kids to the rink every day and they were loving it, but they basically already knew at the end of the year he was gone, but I think he did what one year in Minnesota last year and then he went back again. I just yeah, I don't think, think so. I just don't think he wants to hang him up. I think he's just having a good time playing. <laughs> yeah, if he's forty forty one, he chips in like eight, nine minutes a game, plays on a PK and then goes home. Um Here, Yeah, I here's mean, your one is- million. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's happy to stick to guys like that and Kessler and uh, Colin being able to carve out a career like that and have, even for a guy like Kessler, longevity to hit that milestone. Um, one guy that does not have longevity anymore is Guy Boucher in Ottawa. Fired uh, with 15, 16 games left in a season. Uh, the reason given was they just didn't like the way that the environment and the culture on a team was, despite the fact that everybody knew they were going to suck this year. Not quite sure about why, if they were going to fire him anyway, they didn't just fire him before the season started or just wait till the season ended since we're basically there. But he's gone, and Mark Crawford is the interim head coach. I found it weird, too, that they waited until after the trade deadline to gas him. It's like, so obviously this was in the cards why keep running with the guy if you already know you're going to get rid of him? I just, I don't, I don't like that part of it. It's like, I just don't get how it benefits the team. If if you have this five-year play in Pierre Dorian, why did you hold on to Guy Boucher? You got rid of the three guys that you planned on and Duchesne, Dezingle, and Stone, and then you gas them. As for Mark Crawford stepping in, I I remember I had texted you about it. We kind of went back and forth a little bit. But the year where Austin Matthews opted to play in Switzerland as opposed to the Canadian Hockey League and or the NCAA, Crawford was his coach. And he said that was a big reason why he went to Switzerland because there was a coach with NHL experience. He said he learned how to play a 200-foot game from Crawford. Obviously, I mean, Crawford knew what he had coming to him in Matthews. So nothing else on that team really mattered at that point because if you can groom Matthews and like you had said in the text I don't think you need to groom Matthews we knew what he was going to fucking be but as long as Matthews got drafted that number one spot came over and could perform I think it had a job for him back in the NHL and I think that's what we're getting to right now so maybe he's good with the kids maybe he's not but I feel like the whole Austin Matthews thing definitely brought him back over. Yeah, the touching your point about Pierre Dorian, I am not surprised that him and Melnick still have no idea what the fuck they're doing up in Ottawa. It doesn't it seems like they wake up and there's they go by the feeling and whim of the day, not necessarily following a course of action. Uh I don't know. I don't think this was a plan. I think something had to happen where either Boucher just walked in and said, I'm done, or the team kind of quit on him, or there was something behind the scenes that happened between him and Dorian that led to this. Uh, I'm not completely sold on Crawford being a long-term solution. I know he has NHL experience. He's won a cup. I think he was more or less brought in as someone that could stabilize the locker room, uh, can kind of be an on-the-ground advisor for Dorian and center his management in the offseason because they trust his opinion as a Stanley Cup champ where he has the 15, 16 games of experience on the road with these guys in the locker room, and he can say, this is a guy you can build around. This is a good guy you want in a room. This guy's talented, but you need to ship him out uh, before things go south. So I think that's more or less why he's the interim coach. I'm not really sold on him being a long-term solution in Ottawa unless nobody else wants to go there, which I can totally see. Um, I'm just going to go with my bench Adamas here and say that Brad Shaw is going to be the coach, former captain of the Ottawa 67s and the Senators themselves. Uh, he's a very respected assistant uh, in league circles. He's been around a while. He's 54 years old. He has a little bit of head coaching experience with the Islanders. I think it was... 0506, he was an interim coach. Um, so I can see them going that way. Uh, I know Dallas Eakins is a hot candidate again. He's probably going to take over in Anaheim. But if it's not Crawford, I'm going to go out and say Bradshaw. I don't know who they're going to pick. I know they're a little bit of a wild card, like you said, with Melnick. But one thing for sure, like I don't know where they look. I wonder if they look a little bit towards the college game because they have a very young lineup now. Now with all those other guys gone, you got some young kids there. You got Kachuk, you got Shabbat. Like you have pieces in place, but now you need these kids to not only develop, which they already are, but to keep improving. So to me, I just, I don't know coaching wise who that could be. I mean, 
maybe people just say Todd McClellan because he's out there, but it it didn't work in Edmonton. He had the best player in the world. Yeah. So I just, I honestly don't know as to who would might be stepping in there. I wonder if their AHL guy short end could be an option since he's coached some of these guys in the A. Troy Mann could be interesting too because he was in Hershey for all those years and he won a lot in Hershey. Granted, Hershey was like a fucking NHL team because they would actually pay, <laughs> you know, people legitimate money. But mm, I don't know. I, I think that's definitely going to be interesting in the offseason to see who officially gets it. And I just, your whole thing about maybe they're going to be interested in bringing in a college coach. I will say this. The first year of David Quinn is almost at its end in New York with the Rangers. He's, I think he's done a really solid job in terms of setting expectations for the young players in our roster. He's basically saved Anthony D'Angelo's career as an NHL defenseman. He's maybe not a first-pairing guy, but he's basically churned out a spot as a number four or five right-handed shot defenseman who plays the game tough, uh, can help out on a power play, and where he is now from where he was when Rangers acquired him, I think that shows a lot to the development uh, system of the Rangers and David Quinn as a coach. Uh, same thing with a guy like Heedle, uh, who's had his ups and downs, but uh, Quinn has helped out. My main point is I honestly think he's a placeholder guy for the rebuild. Like I think Quinn's there to help bring in the young guys, get them acquainted, develop that culture. And then once the Rangers turn that corner and they the Rangers think they're ready to contend again, that they're going to let him go and bring in like a legitimate NHL Stanley cup head coach. That's interesting. I just, I just don't know why they would go after him that hard for, because uh, we talked about it in one of our earlier episodes where, he was content at BU. They called, and he said no. They they called again. He said no. And then they just threw enough money at him where he's like, I can't say no. Yeah. Well, he was their second choice. So they wanted uh, Montgomery, who ended up going to Dallas. I think Quinn fits the Ranger mold better than Montgomery would. I feel like Montgomery's more of a quiet guy. I feel like he actually fits better in Dallas as opposed to the New York media. And if we're getting at it too, there's a little bit of eye candy involved. I mean, I would look at (laughs) Quinny all day as opposed to Montgomery's big bald melon. So, Yeah, I mean, it's just a feeling I have because I think he's a fantastic teacher as a head coach. I think he's well-respected. There's been no issues as far as Word out of locker room or guys quitting on him. There hasn't. He's benched healthy scratch. Basically everybody on the roster, even guys like Hayes and Shattenkirk, have been scratched uh, this year as a healthy scratch. Not one complaint from anyone. Not a young guy. Not a veteran. So I think that speaks a lot to him. I just don't see him as a guy that will bring you to the Stanley Cup. And again, that's just first impressions from not even the first full season. And I hope I'm wrong with that. I hope he's going to be here for 10, 15 years and win multiple. Uh, I just have a feeling that the Rangers have a chance and they're ready to contend and they have Quinn on payroll. And a guy like, let's say, Quinville was fired when the Rangers were ready to contend, they might make that move. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, One of the other things... Speaking of the Rangers that I kind of wanted to touch on, I was reading an article on The Athletic about Jerome McGinley. Uh, his number was retired recently by the Calgary Flames. They were talking about the trade that brought McGinley from Dallas to Calgary in the Joe Neuendijk trade. And a tidbit that I never knew before was that at the time, there was 20 minutes before the deadline uh, and Neuendijk needed to be moved. The GM of Calgary had the Stars on one line, and they were offering a Gimla, and they had the Rangers on the other line, and they were going back and forth about who they wanted to include in a trade. And Calgary wanted to make the trade with the Rangers first, and they made the offer of uh, Joe uh, Joe Neuendijk for Nordstrom and Dan Cloutier, and the Rangers turned them down, and then they traded Neuendijk for a Gimla. So... If the Rangers said yes, that would have altered things for three different franchises. Yeah, it's funny how uh, 
you hear these stories about back in the day how GMs used to conduct business and that being one of them. Like, so-and-so's offering me this. Please hold. You know, now you're on the other line <laughs> with the guy. Like, it's just funny to hear, like, these stories come out. But, no, I mean, that definitely would have altered the franchise for sure. Because, I and mean, he, he would have overlapped Messier there, right? They would have been there together. Yeah, I think it was 95 or 96 when I went down. So down in the middle, because they signed Gretzky. They would have had Messier, Neuendijk, Gretzky, one, two, three. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> and he made it to the conference finals in 97s and lost to Philly. So maybe they would have won that year. Um, the other thing is Nordstrom ended up, after that deal fell through, the Rangers didn't want to trade him for Joe Neuendijk, but they traded him to L.A. for Yari Curry. Sometimes I don't know, man. Like, I just... <laughs> Like, I, I just don't even know what to say sometimes. You, like, sit there, and it's like, I don't know if I'm scratching my head or he's scratching his ass. Like, just confused sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought that was an interesting tidbit. Uh, maybe that's only me since I'm an actual Rangers fan, but uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, another thing, I know this wasn't part of our little timeline that we put together. But I saw on NHL.com today that the GMs approved concepts for rule changes regarding player safety and offense. Um, and this is going to go before the competition committee and the board of governors at the end of this coming June. Uh, one of the things, one, one of the more prominent things in this proposal is that players would be penalized if they don't immediately leave the ice after the helmets fall off during play. I believe they implemented that in the AHL. Yeah, they do have that in AHL. George Paros, who's in charge of player safety, says that the NHL is the only pro sports league that doesn't have a rule about uh, wearing a helmet during play. The only thing for me that would be with this is obviously with the equipment guys, you know, your helmet falls off, they get you another one. But if you have to immediately leave the ice... Because I remember one time, uh, I was younger, I was at a Bruins-Capitals game, I remember that, and one of the Bruins defensemen's helmet fell off. And no bullshit, there was no whistles, there was no stops in play, and this guy probably skated another three or four shifts without a helmet. Like, the, the equipment guy didn't bring him another one, the linesman didn't drop it off at the bench, and then finally, you know what it was, <laughs> like seven minutes later the whistle blew and the guy ended up bringing it over to the bench. It was like, wow, that was a long, long, like action packed play. And he didn't get his helmet. So for me, if I'm a defenseman, my helmet pops off and you need me to get immediately off the ice. So if I'm in my D zone, my helmet pops off. Now I have to run to the bench. So basically it's a, we're shorthanded until someone can get back or a forwards jumping back. So I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, if it was, (coughs) excuse me if like your helmet popped off but once as you were going by the bench you had to get off i'd probably be more open to that but yeah the fact that i would have to turn and run off the ice and now one of your forwards has to play defense like i don't know how i feel about that yeah i think they're gonna have to really find some language on that i would think because my first reaction when i read that as a a reformed former agitator from my hockey days was if I'm in a corner fighting for the puck, I'm putting my glove on the back of the defenseman's helmet and just shoving it forward for it falls off. So I think they would have to do something where you would be penalized if you don't leave the ice when your helmet falls off, only if it's from incidental contact or from a hockey play, not from another from a player of another team or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. But then that turns into, like, ref's discretion. I feel like that just has, like, bad news written all over it. Especially if you get a penalty on it, too. So not only that, but Uh, now you're shorthanded. Exactly. Uh, One of the other rule changes that were proposed was that the team starting a power play will be able to choose which side of the ice they want to have the faceoff on. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like it's just been so uniform for so long just whatever side the puck touches that's it i mean it's an advantage now for sure but now it's like if that's the case and you want it to be offensive so no matter where the goalie saves the puck you go all right which side do you want the draw so i i think that could turn into a huge advantage absolutely i mean 
if you have Patrice Bergeron going out there and you know he wins every fucking thing on his backhand, you would just say, okay, Bergie, take this power play, draw, win it back to the point, we'll set up a power play. Easy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds easy to me. It's, you know, it's easy when you have a guy like Bergie, but it was interesting to me because Joe Sackick was the GM that suggested this rule change, and of course a guy like Sackick who would line up just halfway down the top of the circle, ready for that wrist shot, would want a rule change where the face-off would be on a strong hand, one directly to a guy like Sackick who could rip one from between the circles on a power play uh, with demand advantage. Um, the other rule change... Go ahead. Oh, no, not, not me. Okay, yeah, the other rule change that came out of this, which, again, is a minor thing, I just thought it was interesting because they already do this in the outdoor games. But the GMs are recommending that uh, game clocks, like countdown clocks, be added in the corner boards in all arenas to show the time remaining in a period and a penalty. I'm I'm a okay with that. I mean, just be aware. It's different though too. Like when we were playing, and you're playing in these rinks, if they have some had scoreboards on each end, some only had them on one end. But the only thing is this: when you're playing in the NHL. And now there's a massive fucking jumbotron there, and you're underneath it. You, you have no idea. Like all you're relying on is people screaming from the bench. I mean, it's been that way forever. Yeah. But could they change it? Sure. And and I'm okay with that too. I mean, if people know they got to crank a puck now at the end of a game, and they actually know what times there, I think that makes it interesting towards the end of games. I think you get a lot more tied games than shit going into overtime. Yeah, and there's actually one more. Um, they're recommending that they would be they would prevent teams from changing lines if their goalie freezes the puck on shots that come from outside the blue line. Uh, they're suggesting this because there's 22 stoppages per game because of the goalie freezing the puck, and each stoppage averages 30 seconds of dead time. I think that makes penalty kills a little bit different now because... I know a lot of players, you get it over the blue line, but you just chip one in on the goalie and you run hard on a forecheck just so he ties it up and you can get a draw. So now if he actually has to attempt to play that puck because he can't change up, I, I think penalty kills are going to be a lot harder, especially in that area. I think if you know you can get a whistle and those guys can't change, but you can, who's to say you just don't crank one far and you have your weak side guy going just fucking stop on a dime and don't let the goalie do anything with it yeah and i think that's really the angle is here is not only do they want to speed up the game a little bit they want it where power plays and offensive flow increase because they basically whittle down goalie equipment as far as they can safety wise so at this point outside of increasing the size of the nets which i would never be in favor of uh, there's not much tweaking left to do um and plus scoring is already up league-wide i think this is the highest scoring uh season nhl in like 11 or 12 years so the rule changes are working the pace of play has been fun this year um so i'm glad that you imposing like radical changes again yeah and i mean starting next year the goalie equipment gets even smaller than what it already is so i don't think that's gonna have anything to do with a lot of offense i don't think when goalie save the puck you say oh if that thing was a quarter inch smaller it was going in so yeah um before we get into our game and lock of the week picks and today in NHL history uh some sad news uh this week in the hockey world uh hockey hall of famer Ted Lindsay passed away he was 93 years old uh, for his career, he scored 379 goals, had 851 points, and over uh, 1,800 penalty minutes in the 1,068 games. Uh, the Hall of Fame actually waived the usual three-year waiting period when they inducted him in 1966. So he basically came out of retirement, played one more year with Detroit, and then inducted him into the Hall of Fame right away. Uh, he had a big hand in... Um, helping players in the league. Uh, the, his activities helped organize the Players Association, so he was one of the f grandfathers of the NHLPA, uh, and that kind of blackmailed him by the Red Wings general manager, Jack Adams, back in the day. 
he was a tiny guy, 5'8", 165 pounds, but he was one of the most fearless fighters in the league uh, back when fighting was like freaking ridiculous leading up to the brawls in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, so sad news there. Uh, almost a lifetime Red Wing, but I uh, don't, know, don't know if you have anything to add about uh, Ted Lindsay there. No, well said. I mean, great career. Definitely a guy he didn't want to fuck with, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, just it's so, it's sad to see some of the guys that when we were kids and we were growing up, our dads would be like, oh, man, you should have seen this guy play. You should have seen that guy play. Now there's uh, some of these guys are starting to pass away, and you start watching some of their old clips or hearing some of these stories and just think, man, the game has changed drastically since these guys were running roughshod around the around the league. It's funny too, like the old brawls that they used to have. Like, it's not like now where someone has a dirty hit and then you know guys fight. There would be one fight that would break out, and then it was instant everybody on the ice and then if people jumped over the boards yeah it was just like every time it was never just like all right we're just gonna let these guys square up and go it was oh we're fighting everybody grab somebody let's go yeah and it was always back then it was just bench cleaner brawls like everybody would just leave the bench and start fighting too what a game (laughs) um but yeah so moving into our game a lock of the week picks uh i'll be posting an update of the standings in terms of where Kevin and I are for the season with our locks of the week. Uh, we settled on a wager, so uh, the loser has to buy the winner their ticket to a Bruins-Rangers game, either at MSG or the Garden, depending on which one of us wins uh, the regular season standings for lock of the week pick. So I'll put, put that up on our Facebook page uh, sometime this week so everybody can get refreshed enough as we enter the last three weeks of the regular season, I think. Um, but feel free to go ahead with your games and lock of the week picks. Do you think I could take you to an Islanders game? You know how much money I'd save. Listen, <laughs> if you want to take me, if you want to take me to a non-Rangers game, I'll go to like a Bruins uh, Canadians game in Boston. All right, I mean that that makes it a little bit better. I mean, if for New York, right. if you want to take me to an Islanders game, so you save money, that's fine. And and then we can call Greggy and okay. he can comp his Devils tickets. Maybe if we go to an Islanders game next season, maybe I can get us uh, the driver's seat and passenger seat in that Honda that sits right outside the glass. Oh, that'd be nice. I like that. I mean, (laughs) would we get popped for Dewey's, though, for drinking in the car? That's the only issue. (laughs) We're just honking a horn throughout the game. (laughs) Uh, My game of the week this week, I know it's a short week. We're recording on Wednesday. Mother Nature's been a bitch. So is snow removal. I'm fucking tired. The game I picked for game of the week, Saturday night, Pittsburgh at Columbus. Uh, Pittsburgh in that wild card, one spot. Columbus just outside the playoff picture, the first people outside. They could flip-flop. I think it's a huge game. Another interesting point, too, Columbus makes all those deals and currently not in the playoffs. So I think Torts is going to be making a push, very big push. And... For my lock of the week, my boys are fucking on fire. Um, 17 in a row. up Well, a point in at least 17 games in a row. Tomorrow night, Florida at Boston. Bet it all on the bees. All right, Dave. Burned you before. We'll see. Um, I was going to go with that Columbus-Pittsburgh game too, but since you used that for a game of the week, I'll switch out to my second choice. Uh, also, Thursday night, March 7th, I'm going to go Colorado on a road against Dallas. Both of them competing for one of the last two wildcard spots uh, in the Western Conference. And to be honest, Dallas isn't too far behind St. Louis, who's lost two in a row leading up to their next game. So uh, starting to get bunched up there. The wildcard race in the West is finally starting to clear out a little bit. You can forget about teams like Anaheim, Edmonton, Chicago, and... Uh, Vancouver. It's basically down to Minnesota, Dallas, Colorado, and maybe Arizona uh, for the wild card spots. So going to Colorado, Dallas for my game of the week pick. My lock of the week pick, it's very easy to go with a great team against a bad team, but I kind of want to take a little bit of a risk here. I'm going to go uh, St. Louis, I'm sorry, San Jose at home against the Blues on Saturday, March 9th. Book it for San Jose. Wow, that's 
Yeah, you should have went with the layup. That's what I'm going with. But, uh, <laughs> no, that'll definitely be a good game. Uh, yeah, the other thing is I'm, I'm desperately trying to be bench Dallas when I said that San Jose was going to have the most points in the second half of the year and come uh, overtake Calgary for the Pacific Division. So I'm trying to help him out here a little bit. I believe at one point, I, I wasn't Ben Stradamus, but um, I'm pretty sure I called Guy Boucher was going to get fired. And then you defended it saying, yeah, but who would want to go to that dumpster fire? Which is still <laughs> true, which is still true, by the way. But I just want to proclaim that I did say it. I'll have to go find an episode, but I did say that. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for today in NHL history, it's going to keep this one short. Got two of them. Uh, March 6, 1996, Chris Osgood of the Detroit Red Wings becomes the second goaltender in NHL history to score a goal by shooting the puck into the net. He fired the puck the length of the ice and into an empty net with 11 seconds left uh, and a 4-2 Red Wings win against the Hartford Whalers at the Civic Center in Hartford. And then on March 6, 2000, the Boston Bruins traded two future Hall of Famers, defenseman Ray Bork, and left-wing Dave Andrzejczyk to the Colorado Avalanche for Brian Ralston, Martin Grenier, Samuel Paulson, and a first-round pick. Bork went on to win the Stanley Cup for Colorado that year. Brian Ralston actually wasn't that bad of a pickup, but um, the rest was shit. Real quick, you, you, <laughs> said, you said the Hartford Whalers. I have to go on a rant because two things. I, I, I'm on, like, a Facebook Boston Bruins page, and I always get the notifications, and I just have to turn the thing off because I see these things pop up in my newsfeed, and you always think it's like of importance. And then you see it, and you're like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. The, the one I was seeing was so the Hartford Whalers had moved to Carolina. If you do not know this, you probably should not listen to this show. With that. Wait, what? I know. I know it's crazy to think. So, with that, I mean. Hartford was now a dead franchise. I know there's still hopes of bringing back the wheel and everything else. I get it. Not happening. Yeah, it's not happening, but it's worth a shot. With that, I forget who it was. It's somebody Williams in Hartford has their number retired, number 19. They do not have that number retired in Carolina. Dougie Hamilton wears number 19. Well, last, oh, night, yeah. last night they wear the Hartford Whalers jerseys, and now there's a fucking outcry of, why is Dougie Hamilton wearing that number? That number's retired, blah, blah, blah. Is this an issue just because they're wearing Hartford Whalers jerseys? Like, they're still the fucking Carolina Hurricanes. Like, I, I just don't get it, man. It's, it's fucking mind-boggling that people just try poking and prodding for bullshit. Like... I don't like Dougie Hamilton either, but I really don't give a fuck if he wears number 19. People in Hartford are fucking outroar because he wore number 19 in a Whalers jersey. So, well, you know what? If you people showed up for fucking games, maybe you'd still have a team. But you don't. Don't want to hear it. Don't. I just don't want to hear it. That actually happened earlier in the year, very early in the year, when they first wore those Whaler throwback uniforms. And I think Don Cherry who apparently has a fucking bug up his ass for the Hurricanes franchise this year, was bashing them for letting Hamilton wear number 19 because it's retired at the Whalers number. But the Whalers no longer exist, guys. Like, all of these top numbers no longer exist. Yes, those guys play for the organization of the Whalers. Those records still count in any record books. All that happened. But the organization does not exist anymore. If the New York Rangers cease to exist tomorrow and then a new New York franchise came in, they can wear number nine. Even though it's Atari for Adam Graves, they can wear number nine. It's okay. But yeah, I don't get everybody's just looking for another reason to just be pissed off. And that's just that's one of the reasons why I'm just probably going to end up deleting all my social media at some point. Yeah, it's just more like, Jesus Christ, people, fucking relax. Um, one other random tidbit today, too. Brad Marchand came out yesterday, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know what prompted the comment or whatever it was, but he said with the production that Mitch Marner has been doing, he should be getting at least $12 million a year average annual value. With that being said, 
I mean, whether Brad's just saying it to ruffle feathers, knowing that they're already in a cap crunch, or whether he legitimately thinks Marner is a great player and deserves it, people blew this the fuck out of proportion, man. Like, I know when Marshy's trying to like stir shit up. I think he got asked the question and he answered it. Like, yeah, I, I think Marner would be worth that. I don't know how he doesn't get a matching deal with Matthews. I, I know we're, you know, talking about the future and we can just let it be, but it's like this whole thing got out of proportion. Kyle Dubis gets up and says, Well, it's good to know that we're in the we're in Marshan's head. Dude, you haven't beat us in the playoff series. Well, whose fucking head are you in? Like I don't know. I th- I think I'm just cranky. I've been up for a long time. But like some of the shit mean, is just like fucking baffling to me. I think it was both. I think he was stirring up a little bit, but also he was just answering the question honestly. I don't th- see what the big deal is. It's not like he's tampering with a player on another team. But this is why I love hockey, obviously. I love the culture of sport and the guys that play it. Um, but this is why hockey players are the most boring interview when they're currently playing in the National Hockey League because anytime they say anything remotely outspoken or quote-unquote uh, controversial, they get blasted for it. And that's why whenever after every game you get the same standard, oh, you know, we came together as a team or we need to come together as a team, yeah. you know, got to play tough on the road, for, get the puck deep, four-check card. It's the same shit. Since I was six years old, watching my first post-game press conference, and this is why. Let have some personality in the game. There's a reason why PK Subban has a TV show. It's not because he's the best defenseman in the league. It's because he's one of the most well-known outside of the sport. So, like, let the guys just fucking have some fun here. Yeah, I just I don't get it because it's like now. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna have like little handouts if you're the media guy for the team that oh you can't ask players certain questions? Because it seems like it's going to that. And what is it, Sophia, Russia? Yeah, like it's just more aggravating because, like you said, it's not like he was tampering and he's like, oh, yeah, he's going to be an RFA and we're going to make a push on him. Oh, no, don't sign in Toronto. Come here. Like, no, like, I think it's a compliment. He thinks the kid should be making $12 million. That's McDavid money. Like, I just. Yeah, and the, the fact that Dubas was like, oh, that shows that we're in his head. First, if that's spoken as somebody that has that as a concern that they're worried about another team. Like, for example, if I found out some random person who I never think about was talking about me, I wouldn't go, oh, well, it's nice to know I'm in her head. I would just be like, sucks for them, and move on. Like, the fact that Kyle was that kind of defensive about it means that there's a reason why he was so defensive about it. Yeah, it means partly because he can't fit him under the cap because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> That's what it means. And then, uh, yeah, and Johansson's playing better. Um, I had a little random tidbit before we get into shout-outs and wrap up the show. I was reading an article in The Athletic about uh, handedness for hockey players and what it usually means. And one of the takeaways was... I. Uh, more often than not, especially in America, a player's strong hand is always on the top of the stick. And I think that's how you were taught growing up. Um, so usually if you write left-handed, you're a right-handed shot, and which is the case for me. And if you write right-handed, you're a lefty shot. Is that your situation? Yeah, I mean, I had my right hand on the stick. I thought that was my strong hand, so it went on top. Yeah, and there was that. And they also did a study that showed... If you are a forward and you're a right shot, more often than not, you're a goal scorer. But if you're a forward and you're a lefty shot, you're more of a player. Interesting. I, like this, this whole article, I can send it to you. But I can, I won't be able to post this on our Facebook page because you know the whole copyright thing. It's a paid, it's a subscription site. If some people don't know what the Athletic is, it's well worth it, eight bucks a month. But uh, yeah, very interesting article, and I was just like. You know, that is true. I am a le- right left-handed. I shoot righty. My left hand is at the top of the stick. I was more of a uh, scorer when I played forward, but when I played defense, I was more of like a headman pa- uh, pass type of guy. So I was curious to see how it worked out for you, too. Uh, just natural. You know, I just, no matter where they put me, I just stuck. 
no. Uh, what would you do with What would you do with Cam? Like, let's say he's getting, you're getting ready to figure out what kind of stick to get him. How would you figure out his handedness? To be honest, I'd probably just get him a lefty. I'd be like, here you go. <laughs> like, like, just here you go. <laughs> yeah, they they actually so uh, the guy that runs USA Hockey said if you have a kid, uh, get them a flat stick and then just put it on the ground and tell them pick up the stick with one hand, and naturally their reflex as a human is to use their strong hand to pick up an item if they can only use one. So whatever hand they pick up the stick with would be their strong hand, which would be at the top of the stick. So if Cam picks it up with his left hand, he's a righty shot. Well, we'll see what we get there, Left. We'll, we'll cross that bridge <laughs> when we get there. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. But uh, what do you got for shout-outs this week? Uh, shout-outs this week. Uh, Lizzie's Ice Cream, Cambridge, Harvard Square, finally opened March 1st. Big shout-out to the Chino Maslino del Mundo. Um, yeah, been pretty quiet on my end. Uh, finally feeling better. Thank God. I was, I was a little miserable there for the last couple of weeks. Uh, my voice is finally back. Very happy and uh, thankful for that. And um, yeah, no, that that's it. N- nothing too crazy on my end. Quiet. Uh, yeah, same here. Not your usual. First lady. Uh, always listens. Always supportive. And uh, help us out when you can. Not only with me, but with the podcast. So uh, always appreciate that. And. Other than that, just want to shout out to the fact that um, San Francisco looks like it may be coming to an end for your boy here relatively soon. (laughs) So we may actually be able to do a podcast in the same time zone. (laughs) That would be um, more better. -er. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so quite weak uh, usual. Oh, I'll throw a shout out here. If this girl hears it, I would actually be shocked, but I just want to put it out there that I'm cool and I did this. Uh, shout out to Sophie Tucker. went to a show on Friday night here in San Francisco. One of the best shows I've seen in a while uh, in terms of, of like house music. So uh, shout out to Sophie Tucker. Oh, um, one other one I forgot. Uh, James Brown officially got engaged over the weekend. So big shout out to him and uh, the future Mrs. To Be. Oh, it's a missus. I'm surprised. Congrats. Man. <laughs> you, you know, one of those things. Um, everybody, <laughs> as always, thank you for listening. Definitely a short week. Today being Wednesday, we'll probably record again either Sunday or Monday. TBD, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, as always, we always appreciate the listen. You know, you guys spending an hour with us or us spending an hour with you, whichever way you want to call it. The likes, the follows, the comments. It's good, man. It keeps us going. And don't stop us now. Just don't. We'll catch you all next week.